Welcome to the Back in Business podcast with me, Liz Barclay. The House of Lords Youth Unemployment Committee, which was formed in January of this year, is inviting submissions to its new inquiry from today. It's considering what measures should be taken to protect and create jobs for young people. Now, youth unemployment is a long-standing issue in the UK and one which has been exacerbated by COVID-19. The latest Office for National Statistics figures show that under 25s account for more than 60% of the fall in UK employees since before the pandemic. That's a fairly drastic figure. I'm joined by Lord Shipley, the Lib Dem peer and chair of the Youth Unemployment Committee. Lord Shipley, at Back in Business, youth unemployment is something that we are very, very concerned about. From the perspective of small businesses, and I suppose micro businesses in particular, we're being told that the skills needs of the small business owners and the skills presented by young people don't match. How are we going to get over that dilemma? Well, that is one of the things that uh, the Youth Unemployment Select Committee will um, be um, examining in great detail over coming months. We're due to report by November, and uh, we are very concerned about the potential mismatch between the skills of young people leaving schools uh, and, and colleges and those uh, skills which are required by businesses of all kinds. And we have to get right underneath that because um, uh, uh, it depends very much what sector you're in, what you're looking for in terms of skills. There are issues around employability skills that we took evidence uh, yesterday from some uh, um, organisations who were saying that employability skills generally are absolutely key. But there is then the uh, number of skills which are very specific to a job which an employer wants doing. And, um, and so we shall be taking evidence from everybody uh, right across the country. Can I just pick you up on two of those points? Uh, one is the employability skills. Now, I take it you're talking about attitudes, ability to turn up on time, even something as basic as that, understanding what's expected in the workplace, uh, thinking about how to get on with other people in the workforce, etc. Who teaches that? Uh, well, this is a big question as to who is responsible for teaching it and how it is done. And one of the things that we will be looking at is the role of schools in, uh, in doing that. So at the moment, schools tend to be dominated by the national curriculum. They're being assessed by um, teaching to the requirements of that national curriculum, and they're being assessed against the results of what they do in, in, in terms of teaching young people uh, the national curriculum. And so in terms of um, uh, uh, skills for work, skills for the outside world um, uh, and those employability skills, and you listed them. Uh, 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 there's another one actually, which is IT skills, but exactly what IT skills does somebody need to have when they've reached um, different stages of uh, uh, compulsory education and afterwards. And what, I mean, we've only just begun our work, so, but 
I think I see a trend, which is that we need to look much more closely about exactly what these things mean and then probably make some major recommendations as to what um, should actually happen in schools in and colleges in terms of employability skills. The second thing I wanted to pick up with you was IT skills. Uh, the Learning and Work Institute earlier on this week said that there are not enough pupils studying IT skills and therefore we're likely to see a digital skills shortage uh, in future years. Now, what small businesses are telling us uh, is that they need those digital skills now. And actually, to a certain extent, some of the businesses that we've talked to are worried about getting online, being able to shift their businesses uh, to a digital platform of some sort because they can no longer operate on a face-to-face -face or in a physical way. So there seems to be a bit of a gap there between the needing of the skills now and the getting the skills out of the schools at the time that they're required. And this has always been a problem, actually, for the skills agenda. As long as I've been involved in public life, uh, the skills gap has always existed. It just is that the nature of that gap has changed. And now there is a huge skills gap in IT. You're absolutely right about that. And with COVID and the fact that many um, uh, young people don't have uh, uh, an access in uh, you know, particularly disadvantaged pupils, don't have access of a kind, a kind that many other pupils have. And so in terms of uh, Wi-Fi access, internet access, anything other than a mobile phone, which is shared perhaps by a family, um, all of these things, these are factors that um, lead to a digital divide. And one of the consequences of that digital divide is that there are uh, uh, kids leaving um, compulsory education um, with um, skills in, in you know, uh, digital skills, which uh, are, are, um, could be much better. And uh, employers are absolutely right. We should be investigating uh, employer requirements in much greater detail um, uh, over the coming weeks because uh, we need to understand better exactly what the gap is. So, you know, you know, not just there is a gap, which everybody would say, well, there's a gap and something must be done. It is. So what exactly should um, schools, um, uh, government, colleges, employers be seeking to do? And then another factor, you earlier on talked about the um, uh, loss. You understand there's unemployment figures and there are employment figures. And particularly disturbing, you said earlier that 60% of the loss in employment has come from the under 25s. But actually, for the under 35s, it's 88%. Now, these are huge numbers and they are distinctly worrying as, uh, as figures because um, we face late, later this year, at some point, there will be an end to furlough. Who, who knows quite what that means in terms of tapering, its effect and so on. I really don't know. Um, it depends how things go. But equally, we're going to have a large number of young people who are going to come onto what let us term the employment market um, in the course of the summer, either leaving education um, or maybe uh, because of furlough, they're, they're trying to find a new job. And this issue of employability skills and IT skills, let's look at construction. Huge gap 
in construction skills. Um, why did the Green Homes Initiative fail recently? The government, this huge uh, proposal plan for uh, investment in green homes. But of course, the labour force is not there actually to do the work. And so it's, it's not, I'm not um, uh, thinking that we need a national plan, but I certainly think in terms of uh, post-COVID, post-Brexit as well, there are, you know, we have to have a national debate about all of this because um, uh, we need to share a set of common objectives. And at the moment, I detect a what I think may just be a widening gap uh, between uh, what is um, uh, being done in our schools and colleges and what employers actually need. Now, you're talking about, you know, smaller businesses, about micro businesses. Um, where I live in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, lots of engineering companies and so on, lots of people in the automotive industry and so on. And uh, um, it's just very, very important for the security of our economy and therefore of jobs that actually the level of skills is um, uh, uh, um, is increased. Um, and, and if we don't do that um, and don't do it correctly, um, it's going to make things much more difficult for individuals and for all of those people who are sitting at home wondering what the future holds. Um, I, was, I was thinking this is music to my ears, but only insofar as this is something that we have been banging on about on the Back in Business podcast since May last year. Uh, but to, to pick up on that 88% figure for the under 35s. That means that the people who were struggling to find work after the credit crunch in 2008 and have just got onto the employment ladder and are starting to catch up in terms of their career have been hit again. We're looking at lost generations here if we don't get this right. And I'm wondering if we learned nothing after 2008. Um, I'm not sure we learned nothing. Um, circumstances differ. I mean, I can go back to the 1980s, you see. I well remember what was happening in the, uh, in the 1980s and early 90s. And of course, in where I live, the kind of shakeout from the large manufacturing industries. Um, you know, I was once asked, I used to lead Newcastle City Council and um, for several years. And uh, when I did, I remember being interviewed by somebody in the press about what it was that I worried most about as council leader. And um, I said, I think you probably expect me to say getting re-elected or the level of council tax or something like that. I said, look, the thing that I worry about most is how we create the next generation of jobs for young people. That has always been my absolute number one priority because you have to look political leaders, um, organisations like yours, employers, the college, we all have to try to look ahead 30 years. It is very difficult. Who saw the crash coming um, uh, 2008? Um, well, you know, what is that, you know, what will happen over the next four or five years worldwide? It's very difficult to say. What is the implication of Brexit? Well, there are huge, huge opportunities um, uh, for the UK economy if we actually think it through. One of them is to manufacture more ourselves. 
um, so all these problems we got now, which have been accentuated by COVID, which are, you know, um, uh, just making the movement of goods more difficult. So the question is, so why don't you do more yourself? Why don't you grow more of our own food, environmentally more responsible? That's the kind of national debate that I think we have to have. And the uh, Youth Unemployment Select Committee is looking at one part of that. Where do small businesses fit into this then? Because quite often small businesses employ someone, young person, they have to do the employability training themselves. Yes. They can't do necessarily the IT training themselves. Uh, but in terms of investment of time and money, are small businesses going to have to just simply bite the bullet, invest and bear the cost? Um, well, the apprenticeship levy wouldn't apply to small businesses, as you, you know. Um, but um, uh, in terms of bite the bullet, the cost, well, I hope not quite like that, but certainly to, uh, to, to, to do things which help to employ young people um, uh, on, on whatever schemes um, uh, are useful to them. I, you know, I can't forecast quite what the select committee will come out with at the end, uh, but something to do with helping smaller businesses seems to me to be pretty central to this. And the reason is that that's where enterprise tends to start. Enterprise, the, um, uh, the companies that might be, you know, um, uh, be developed out of uh, research in universities, for example, you, you, you know, they start very small and they grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, so they need the help to do that. Um, and, and, and that's where, that's why I think the smaller uh, businesses, the micro businesses become so important because they're the places where new jobs are created. So take um, the proposals for a green jobs revolution. Look, you know, my own party has been uh, pressing the green agenda and green capital investment, um, wind turbines and so on. And you see what's now happening in the North Sea. And uh, I, I take a lot of, um, uh, um, uh, uh, of uh, pleasure in just seeing um, this all happen uh, more and more and more because it is more sustainable. But there's a, a great deal more that can be done. And therefore, uh, investing in a green economy, it requires some planning. You can't just invest in it one Whitehall department, the Treasury or the relevant department, whatever it is, are saying will invest in this. Uh, and that's the education system and the work uh, uh, Department of Work and Pensions, that everybody's on board with a sense of common purpose um, to make sure the skills have been delivered to, to, to uh, train the people who are going to be doing these jobs. And um, it takes that national debate that I referred to a moment ago first. Um, but then it needs uh, a, a sense of um, that national common purpose, doesn't it? I do. I do think increasingly post-COVID, whatever form we're, you know, whatever discussion in twelve months' time we might be having about the post-COVID environment, it clearly is not going to be the same as what we had prior to February 2020. Um, but you. Sorry, let me just say one more thing about that figure of 88%. I'm back to this again. So it got me very worried because I didn't see it until last night. And I thought, what this really means, it's the people who are renting housing 
So you talked about the generation from 2000 to date, and that's you know generation rent, huge issue around uh, owner occupation of property and uh, you know house prices and deposit levels and so on. And you 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 just realise that um, uh, there is a responsibility of the older generation to the younger generation, and that now is becoming clear belongs to the under 35s, not just those who are in their late teens. Um, the national debate, absolutely, I, I agree with you that we need to have that, but we need to have it quickly. Uh, yes. In the meantime, the departments you have mentioned, and you will know this better than I do, seem to me to be fairly siloed in their thinking. How do we break down those barriers? Well, I'm not going to uh, um, uh, draw a firm conclusion to what you have just said, um, but we did, and, and you can see the uh, the transcript um, uh, from and the uh, a recording that be available on Parliament, Parliament TV of our hearing that took place just uh, a week uh, and a day ago with the uh, um, relevant uh, departments, uh, DWP and Department for Education. And there is, let me give credit, a huge amount is going on. Um, and uh, uh, I think what we will be doing um, is to look at the outcomes of what is currently happening. And by that, I don't mean just outputs, but I mean outcomes. So what actually changed? But the other thing is that I'm really concerned, you know, to use a Whitehall phrase, to drill down into places. So um, we can talk to employers, we can talk to young people, we can talk to um, uh, uh, providers, um, we can talk to schools and all of them. Um, in the end, we need to get into places where we can talk to everybody in the same place and try to see what is the, what, what is the, the nature of the joining up at a local level because I'm only too well aware that, that Whitehall has a reputation and often justified for silo thinking and silo management. Now, it is the case, and you will see it if you look at the, um, at the hearing we, we had, um, uh, uh, it, it is the case that there's a lot of cross-departmental working. The question that I think we may need to address is, so what was the impact of that in terms of the outcomes delivered? So it won't be um, the amount of money spent. It wouldn't be the number of uh, um, uh, events that took place, things like that. It is actually, as a consequence, the following occurred and there was a real gain to society as a consequence of that joint working. So you're looking for what works, in other words, in simple terms. I'm looking, yes, we're looking for what works but we're looking to get young people into work. And that's the objective. Um, if we were to get, I mean, employment unemployment figures uh, are produced very regularly. I fear a further downward trend over coming months. This has been described by others as a national emergency, just waiting. Um, and as I think I said earlier, we face a summer with a lot of people uh, leaving education and coming onto um, into the jobs market, 
at the same time as a lot of people may be ending furlough. And uh, we have to have a sense of direction. So when you said a moment ago, we we have to get on with it, you're absolutely right. We, we, I mean, I hope nobody thinks that uh, they have to wait for the outcome of our committee. We are, we are, I mean, we report in November. Um, uh, what we say and do, of course, uh, is kind of being regularly reported um, uh, over coming months and uh, people can take part, watch our, um, uh, uh, our hearings and so on. Um, but um, I, I think the country as a whole has to come together to do these things. So I'm just looking at everybody to think, well, you know, um, the, the employers' organisations, large companies, the trade unions, uh, the local authorities, the local enterprise partnerships, everybody has got to be thinking, how do we make a difference that actually gets younger people into jobs that are going to last? Uh, very good point, sustainability. Um one final observation from me, though, uh, yes, I think everybody, and you're right, has a role to play, but we have seen the government launch new schemes like the Kickstart scheme, for instance, that works for big business and not necessarily for small businesses. How do we get more government thinking around about the needs of the small employer who is the person who is enterprising, will take the risks and will create those jobs. Well, I hope uh, that uh, the Select Committee can help with that because it's a structural problem. Um, Some of the recommendations that I think we're likely to make will not be um, uh, immediate palliatives. Uh, um, uh, Some will be, but more generally, we are trying to look at the structures. And one of the things that I can assure you that we will now do is to look at the structures which enable small businesses actually to engage with the big national initiatives. We will be reviewing Kickstart. I mean, there are all kinds of issues around um, uh, uh, the way it's been working, Um, those who qualify to take part, the numbers who have taken part. um, uh, It isn't absolutely clear in a few months' time what happens then. Um, So, that's one initiative there are others and the you know these we will be looking at very closely um because um uh, we need to learn from them i think the government um uh, the departments understand all this they're looking for things that can be done that work and one of the um, requests that we made of the two departments in our sessions last week was to say so will you now review the um, all of these schemes that you have and let us have some statements on outcomes. Again, not outputs. And that is due to happen, and I don't know when we'll get it, but uh, before too long, hopefully. Um, thank you. It's been fascinating talking to you. I, all, <laughs> I suppose I always love talking to somebody <laughs> who uh, makes points that have been exasperating me for years and seems to be getting uh, to grips with all of that um can we help in any way uh, can you we can. bring you can we bring you employers can we can we come and talk to you 
Oh, I, I, no, look, look, the answer is an absolutely definite yes. We'd love to hear from you. If you can give us evidence, I mean, we have all hearings um, coming every Tuesday morning, 10.15, uh, live on Zoom, normally two hours to about 12.15, um, uh, either one session or two sessions. And uh, we have... Um, we're, we're, we are uh, um, um, uh, adding in through, we're, we're about the middle of May now with where we're headed. We're not helped by the fact that Parliament will be prorogued, um, understandably, uh, but we have to stop. We are abolished for the period of a fortnight, so we come back again middle of May. But um, if we were to say something like June uh, to early July, it would be really, really helpful um, uh, to us to hear that dimension. Because you're absolutely right that there is a tendency to think in terms of large organisations who provide very quick um, outputs. Whether they provide very quick outcomes, I'm not, that's, well, I don't know. Let us wait and see. Lord Shipley, thank you very, very much indeed for okay, giving us your time. You. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Bye -bye.